Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. I learned that the words, I love you, to some people literally mean nothing. Namaste, the fuck away from me. (laughs) This is what I learned um, living with somebody who... At the time, I actually didn't think uh, it was it was narcissism. I was uh, living in this reality tunnel of their sob story, which was that they had PTSD. The person I was living with had escaped um, from a war zone when they were a kid. Um, they'd escaped a genocide and had lived in another country uh, where they were a foreigner with a foreign religion and they were very, very poor. And they went to live in a wealthy country where they were bullied. So she did definitely have PTSD. She was definitely the uh, victim of very, very unpleasant circumstances that went on for a long time. But that blocked me from seeing the two things, like that she could be a victim and have PTSD and also be a vicious predator as well. Because, you know, I'm a a left-leaning sort of a chap and uh, would be, you know, background in psychology, spiritual view of the world, and very forgiving, sort of like, well, you know, she suffered a lot and these sufferings, they manifest in these patterns of behavior. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know at that time that you could authentically be really a victim and be a narcissist. I didn't know at that time, and it's important for everybody to learn that you can, that a person can be, <laughs> The, uh, that, that actually narcissism is rooted in PTSD. Narcissists, psychopaths, borderlines, histrionics, all are personality disorders that are reaction formations to extreme pain and suffering in childhood. That's normal. I didn't think it was at the time. So it was a big learn for me to get my head around that. There was also, I think, an element kind of I don't want to say it was it was sexism, but it was my view of what men were like and women were like didn't really account for the the level of aggression that I was dealing with. I didn't think women were aggressive like that. I didn't think that this girl would be running a vendetta against me, um, which she was, and it was very deliberate. It was very targeted. And it was really deeply malicious. And I think there was this sense of me, well, you know, women are nurturing their mothers, you know, by nature, their biology, everything is, is nurturing and growing people and healing people, which is why there's more uh, women in psychology and in generally in the caring professions. It's usually a woman's, uh, it's usually a woman's space. So women are intrinsically um, nurturing and kinder than men. Because up until that point in my life, my, my, my own childhood experiences of, of, of trauma and suffering were, were at the hands of men and of boys older than me. Then I got into the martial arts, which is a world predominantly of men fighting with men. And then I was working in nightclub security. So, and I, I was working for low level criminals. I was working for, you would, they would be classed as organized crime and I can give you names of people who've had books published about them and films that we were associated with and that I actually directly work for. But 
don't be imp- don't be impressed. It's very low level organized crime. Let's, let's call it semi organized crime. And so I was like, no, it's it's men. Men are the bad guys. Men are the ones who who do this stuff. And because of that rigidity of my thinking, I couldn't see the extent of violence that a woman was capable of. And I combined that with another blind spot that I had to learn and and that taught me living with this girl was that the violence takes place in more than one arena. Violence isn't necessarily snipers, tanks and bombs. Violence can be emotional violence. Violence can be psychological violence. Violence can be propaganda. That's why good, effective uh, military powers don't just um, attack at the physical level. They'll attack at the psychological and the emotional level as well. They'll do the yang and the yin approach to warfare. So I didn't know women could be that violent and I didn't class what she was doing as violent. When I wrapped my head around what was actually going on, and I, because um, I suppose where you could say it was sex is a slightly patronizing um, idea that, that women wouldn't be capable of that, that level of malice. That is the, that's the, um, the territory of men. Vendettas, malice, a desire for revenge. Yes, I was younger and more naive then to believe these things, but I genuinely believed it. I genuinely believed that women were just, uh, they used to say, we used to call women the fairer sex, the softer sex. I was like, no, they're not capable of that. Well, I learned my lesson on that one. And it helped a lot to realize that um, aggression, narcissism, psychopathy is not owned by either sex. Viciousness, savagery is not owned by either sex. When I started to do more work with women who were the daughters of narcissistic mothers, then I realized how uh, equally vicious it's in human nature. Uh, This is not, it's not a gendered thing. So I learned that. I learned that um, trauma is um, contagious. PTSD is contagious. I learned that living with somebody who was cycling through um, some very strong emotional flashbacks actually started to emotionally dysregulate me. If I were to remotely um, uh, diagnose my ex, which you know I'm not qualified to do, I'm not a clinician, and you, even if I was, nobody would take that seriously. Oh, I think my ex-wife is like this. They'd be like, oh, do you really? But based, trying to be dispassionate, based on my observations, um, she would have covered all of the bases for cluster B and all of the niches, the, the, the different varying parts of the cluster B spectrum. Um, there was goal-orientated uh, psychopathy there. There was clearly histrionic behavior. She was obsessed with how she appeared to the world. And she was an excellent PR agent, excellent, truly did an amazing job of controlling everybody's perception of her because everybody thought she was wonderful. Real uh, um, conscientious, animal loving, the voice was very high pitched and sweet and gentle, loved animals, um, was working to save the environment, so on and so forth. Everybody loved her and thought she was very charming and very nice. She always presented herself very well. The only comments that I did get was that sometimes she dressed in a way that was perhaps a little over the top in terms of provocation, um, unnecessarily sexual, like at, at some family meetings we would show up and 
there'd be uh, there'd be some some ass and, and titties would be out, um, and there was a sort of a tone deafness in sort of sometimes engaging what was appropriate and what wasn't as far as pushing the uh, message, the message, the narrative, and the signals outward. I am very sexually attractive. So without realizing, so you need to turn, turn that down. In this scenario, you can dial it up over there if you want to. And there was a little bit of tone deafness there, which is interesting because years after I had split with her, um, I was speaking to somebody about the, the connection and the research that's being drawn between autism amongst women and psychopathy. And when I was with her, when I couldn't look at the possibility of her being a narcissist, I did think that she was autistic. She was also highly intelligent, um, a published uh, scientist. Her work was published, uh, peer-reviewed and published, and, and was um, well-received. People were using it for, for their research. Bright, bright person. But I'd communicate with her sometimes, and I'd be like... The lights are on, but I don't think anybody's. <laughs> I don't think anybody's home. This is a really strange experience of being with somebody, but also feeling like they're just not there. Um, and I only really got to grips with that years later when I was with somebody else, and I wasn't living with them, but we would spend weeks at a time together. And this little voice in my head would be like, "You're not supposed to compare, but how does this compare?" And I'm like, "Well, this new person." is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I always feel there's a human there. I always feel there's a presence of a human being. So even if the behavior was weird or annoying or she was being cranky or, or whatever, which all humans are, it was always within a, a, a context that I could get to grips with and I go, okay, I, I understand what's going on here. With my ex, I never knew what the hell was going on. And it was extremely distressing because um, I think when we communicate with each other, there's like a baseline sort of a connection and empathy, the empathy in me and the empathy in you kind of reaches out and you sort of, you know, it's never perfect, but you sort of reach for each other in that way. And that just never happened with her. It never, it was never there. And so I interpreted that because narcissism was not a possibility in my mind. I was like, oh, this is PTSD that's led to autism. Well, uh, autism spectrum disorders are not narcissism and never the twain shall meet, I thought at that time. That's actually not true. Um, as I say, some research indicates that uh, female autism may manifest as like a histrionic, meaning like hypersexual, very, very sexualized mode of uh, communication and psychopathy, highly goal orientated. Uh, even to, but, but immoral, um, to the point of breaking moral boundaries and even legal boundaries, which actually this girl did. She broke several legal boundaries uh, when I was with her. Not big ones, little, little things, small things, but important things, like really, really extremely important things. So that's another learn that I had. Yes, she could be a narcissist. Yes, she could have PTSD and narcissism. In fact, narcissism is, is a manifestation of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, you can be autism spectrum and be cluster B disorder spectrum as well. That exists. And it was a strange experience to be living with somebody where I felt like um, 
the lights were on and nobody was home and there was always something up. Uh, I even went to the point because of course, because also, as I said, she ticked a lot of the boxes for a lot of the different things. So psychopathy, narcissism, borderline all day. Histrionic was there. But there's also this terrible thing we call covert narcissism, which is truthfully more vulnerable. This should be called in the literature, it's called vulnerable narcissism or fragile narcissism. And that was the stuff that drove me completely bonkers. And I was searching for an answer. I was looking for, you know, where's, what's, what's going on here? Because none of this makes sense. And it would make me, the cognitive dissonance is extremely stressful. Those of you who have lived with narcissists, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I started to change. Any complex post-traumatic stress, any issues I had from childhood were inflamed. And so I started to warp. Uh, my behavior changed massively. I got massively more stressed. And anger management issues from my 20s that I thought were completely gone came back with a vengeance. Uh, that was just one thing. Depression, anxiety, massive insomnia, um, eating problems. I started to have real bad uh, problems with just eating, like a lot. Couldn't stop. Kept eating all the time, which now looking back, I'd be like, well, probably um, I'm trying to suppress the feelings of anxiety and food is a good way of doing that. I couldn't, couldn't and wouldn't go back to drugs and alcohol because I already had that period of my life and wouldn't go back to it. So what's a legal way of doing the same thing? It's not quite as effective as snorting coke and drinking yourself half blind, but if you eat enough cake, you do start to numb out. <laughs> so I did. Um, and uh, yeah, I realized that it's, it's contagious. You're, it's, uh, it's called, um, some people call it secondhand trauma. If somebody's cycling through m uh, massive swings of emotional dysregulation, you will too. And I didn't know that. I had no idea that that was the case. I learned that um, the words I love you um, to some people literally mean nothing. That there are human beings walking around who have no moral boundaries. I learned that there are people who will target people they see as being vulnerable, but resourceful. So if you're vulnerable, but resourceful, if you're if you have something they want and you have weak boundaries, you're like catnip uh, for these people. You're, you're going to become, you're going to become something that they get obsessed with because they want to harvest you. They want to mine you. They want to strip mine you for your resources. Um, and saying, I love you and deliberately trying to evoke love from you is just part of their natural strategy. I didn't know that. I learned that there are people out there who will accelerate the intimacy at an absurdly high rate. Uh, that's not a good thing. The whirlwind romance um, and, the, and the, the sex, uh, actually at the time I took it very romantically and I was like, oh, we're so sexually compatible and we're so into each other. The first time we went out for a date, we went straight back to a hotel room and uh, had sex consecutively 10 times in one night. Um, which I was like, well, you know, that just proves the connection. And I'm looking back now and I'm like, it doesn't prove anything other than that, you know, you, you get, 
stimulus response like you get turned on under certain conditions and she's a really nice looking girl and, and that's that's all it is so i would never mistake lost for connection ever again i'd never make that mistake again and um i think i would finish by saying you need to what i learned and what i want to share with people and, and tell them to watch out for apart from everything else i just said is what they'll do is they won't just um, accelerate the intimacy. Like they'll want to have sex with you really early and they'll want to give you a lot of sex really, really quickly. They'll want to move in with you very early and they'll want to speed that side of the relationship up. But I've never really heard anybody talk about this. They'll try and pull as much love from you as possible. They'll try and get you as invested emotionally in the relationship as possible whilst not investing in it themselves. So they have to do a lot of double talk and they have to run like um, a side-by-side -side act where they're going, okay, um, what do I need to do? I need to be the girl that loves this guy and that evokes as much love and intimacy from this person as possible, but it's not the real me. So they split themselves. So I now need to go into that mode. So this sucker who's looking into my eyes with love and seeing his, his, his kids in my eyes, I need to do that now. That's a game that I need to do right now and put effort into that whilst holding back completely. Coming out of the relationship, um, it was very, very hard for me to look at the fact that she never loved me the way that I loved her and that she actually wasn't capable of loving me the way that I loved her and that she had deliberately sort of provoked and evoked as much love and as much connection from me as she possibly could whilst offering me as little as she could get away with whilst still keeping the scam going, which it was a scam, a total scam um, for all my uh, sort of understanding of psychology and the fact that I was a self-protection instructor for 10 years before I ever met her. Um, I was scammed. I was completely scammed and I was scammed if you look from the beginning to the recovery period, uh, I was only with this girl for three years, but I was scammed out of six years of my life because it took me three years to recover fully. And that was with work, that was with effort. It's very difficult to recover from this type of stuff. Not impossible, um, takes time. And it's the recovery process is deep um, because the wounds are deep. So you have to end, like, I couldn't do this recovery process without getting into what is the nature of reality? Do I believe in God? What is the purpose of life? What does it mean? Like I had to, it was like having a house that was so infested with some sort of rot or lice that we had to strip everything down to the foundations and even dig out some of the foundations and start again. Such that the person that I am post the relationship has very little to do with the person I was before. It, it's, it's that deep. Uh, the recovery process has to go that deep because the wounds are so deep. What I learned was there's a deliberate provocation of your attachment trauma. And you'd say, well, I don't have attachment trauma. And I would say, every human being does. Every human being has attachment trauma and attachment trauma. Separating and individuating from your parents is in and of itself traumatic. Being born is traumatic for you and for your mother. 
Um, and that's just a fact of life. You're with your parents, you're with your family, you're physically with your mother, and then you separate and it's painful. What the narcissist psychopath does and what this girl did to me was provoke that original attachment trauma, which she didn't do this consciously, they just know. They scan for weakness and she, and she attacks the weakness. Every single time that that attachment trauma was inflamed again in, in my life, because attachment trauma, when you detach, even if you do it volitionally and your parents are like good enough, they're basically psychologically healthy, they're not drunks, they're not narcissists, they don't beat you, it's still traumatic and you'll still experience it as a rejection. So you individuating from your parents gives you a wound, everybody gets this, gives you a wound that feels like rejection and you'll become hypersensitive to rejection for the rest of your life. There is a kind of perpetual daily re-experiencing of that rejection that the narcissist and psychopath does to the codependent. Um, and it's done multiple ways, multiple times a day, but it's, you relive it daily. And it gets, I don't think you numb to it, I think it actually gets more painful with time. So how do you reject somebody multiple times a day? When to, let's just say neurotypical, normal, whatever that may be, non-narcissistic adults who are in a loving relationship have a problem and they fall out with each other um, over something. You didn't put fuel in the car, you didn't put the cat back on the toothpaste, whatever it is. When two adults argue, you don't, you, you should only be arguing about the behavior and attacking the behavior. You shouldn't be attacking the person. That's a logical fallacy in a debate. If just because I disagree with you, doesn't mean I have to turn around and say, well, anybody who believes that would be a dickhead. Ooh. That's called an ad hominem logical fallacy. It means to the person, to the human, ad hominem, to the man, rather than to the arguments. I'm now not attacking the argument. I'm now attacking the person. That's not an okay thing to do. But they do more than that. They attack the root of who you are, the essence of who you are. And they don't just attack it, they'll let you know. They don't just attack it, they let you know that they hold you in contempt for it. That they reject you utterly as a human being for it. Now, I, was smart. I wasn't that smart with this girl. And it wasn't, you could say, oh, well, it's a good looking girl, loads of sex, you just got overwhelmed and brainwashed by sex. And I was like, it wasn't that simple. I really did love her. I really, really did love her. I loved, sorry, let me rephrase that. I loved the shell personality that she would put on to get me to fall in love with her. I really did. The, I loved nobody. I loved a ghost. That person did not exist. That was a ghost in the machine. It was a program that she was running, a hallucination that she was projecting to... Uh, keep me brainwashed while she fed off me, while she drank my milkshake. What I realized was beyond the sex, beyond the physical attraction, there was love there. I really, really did love her. Um, and that, that love was being used as the leverage and the hook and the stick at the same time. So like a slave master, I was chained but the chain and the whip was the same thing. The chain and the whip and the potential for reward was all the same thing. 
So how do you keep people suppressed? You cause them to suffer. You say, do as I tell you or I'm gonna fucking hurt you. And if you do do as I tell you, you'll get to go into a bigger slave house and you'll get like an extra half portion uh, of gruel every day because you've been a good slave and I'll let you leave your slaving half an hour earlier than the other slaves. And you'll be like, whoa, yeah, I'm, this is great. And it reduces us. It reduces us to the wretchedness of bootlicking, masochistic, submissive slaves who by the end of it are, and this is the terrible shame that stops people from going to therapy or coaching and, and from getting help. Um, the PTSD, part of the PTSD and the CPTSD of the experience of narcissistic abuse is watching yourself behave in such a shameful and humiliating manner, begging for scraps, begging for mercy. And then not just begging for mercy, but when you're offered the scraps and you get the mercy, you're disgustingly grateful. You're pathetically, wretchedly grateful. You're sniveling and groveling in your own filth whilst they stand above you. It takes time for you to get to that point, but you will get to that point because you are being, to quote Gaslight, slowly and systematically driven insane, quoting the, the film Gaslight from 1944, the American version. You're not insane, you are slowly and systematically being driven insane by somebody who's running an agenda on you. So that's what I learned living with um, a narcissist. It was, uh, it was, it was hard. Um, it made me a, a better and a way, way stronger human being on the other side of it. It fundamentally changed some of my core beliefs about love relationships and, uh, and life. Um, and I am, I'm grateful for the experience as awful as it was. Uh, I Obi-Wan Kenobi'd that Murpha, strike me down, Lord Vader, and I will become more powerful than you could ever imagine. I was struck down that I'm talking about one of these relationships. I actually went through two. So the most recent one, um, I was struck down, but I really did come back far, far stronger on the other side of it. And I believe everybody can. Um, it's just that it's really, really, really tough to do. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for your time, for your attention, and I uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Cheers. Folks, if you enjoyed that, there are more episodes for you to watch right here. Please click on that. If you want to subscribe to me, do it here. And here is a PDF for you that is completely free.